You are listening to the Tenuto Podcast, a podcast dedicated to getting you interviews from some of the best teachers in the music education field. I'm your host, Kevin Lynch, and here we go. So the best way to say it is, is I bet you could. I bet you could convince like tech billionaires to spend a hundred thousand dollars to go go away for like three days and do nothing but play a bass drum while a conductor is <laughs> is giving them the rhythm. Like that's the type of thing that they would get really into to just like be able to zone out and get in tune with the universe and lock into them. It's just bad. We obviously take it seriously. Our careers are dedicated to it, and it should be stunning in every regard. You have to keep in mind, we are not curing cancer. We're not putting things on Mars. It's just banned. All right. Well, welcome in. Today's episode is a very special edition of the Tenuto Podcast. We have my former trombone professor from Penn State, Mark Lusk, on the show. And this interview was something that I wish I had done earlier in my life. I wish I had done this from 2012 to 2016 when I was a student at Penn State studying trombone because I know that this is something that I'm going to be listening to time and time again because the the things that Mark says are just pure gold. And he talks a lot about the lessons that he was telling me when I was in school. And a lot of those lessons are still holding true today. And and part of the reason why I am the person that I am today is because of Mark Lusk. Definitely would not be the person or teacher I am today without him. And I think a lot of people listening to this right now would say the same thing. I had a really special weekend this weekend. I went up to Penn State, State College, Pennsylvania. Hadn't been there in too long it had been about four years and it was really special to be back at the Penn State Trombone Labor Days event which has now been going on for about 12 years and it's this event where select alumni come back and share their stories with the current class share some advice and we also get an opportunity to play with the trombone choir again and share music at Penn State again And I still remember being a student, hearing the stories from the alumni and and what a profound impact it had on me. So going back there as an alumni, somebody who's going into my seventh year teaching now, it was really special. I was honored to be invited back. And the coolest part was I was there along with the other trombone students who graduated from the 2016 class. So this episode that you're going to hear today, it's it's pretty unique because you're going to hear this new segment during the interview called Questions from My Classmates, where each of the alumni who graduated with me and who are up this weekend have a featured question that they ask Mark during the interview. So I know this episode, it might be a little bit longer than others, but this interview in this episode is really special to me. The Labor Days event concluded with Mark's uh, 69th trombone recital. 
And immediately after that, I mean, really, immediately, he, he was very, you know, I was really appreciative that he did this. He went right up to room 216, his office. Uh, Evan Harger joined us. He was in the room with us, and you'll hear him chime in at the end. And being the person that was asking the, the questions in this room, it felt odd to me because from 2012 to 2016, I was always the person on the hot seat in room 216, you know, during trombone lessons. So it was a nice change of pace for me. So I'm really excited to get to this interview. And before I do, I just want to tell you a little bit about Mark. So if I read Mark's whole bio, it would probably take 20 minutes because the guy has done so much. But He became a member of the Penn State faculty in 1986, and before this, he played with different groups like the Woody Herman Thundering Herd, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Eastman Wind Ensemble, and the Chicago Contemporary Chamber Players. Uh, He still is an active musician, career soloist, clinician, freelance musician, Um, and I think something that he really takes pride in is... You know, he, he does every summer. He works with the Cleveland Trombone Seminar. He goes up to Interlochen uh, in Michigan, which is a place that, you know, I, I spent some time because of him. And uh, he's a native of Brandenburg, Kentucky. He holds undergraduate and graduate degrees from the Eastman School of Music and a performance certificate from Northwestern University. I am so excited to share this interview without with you. So here it is. Mark Lusk from Room 216 in the Penn State School of Music. Uh, this is a very special episode of the Tenuto Podcast because we have my college trombone professor, somebody I've looked up to for a really long time. This is Mark Lusk, trombone professor at Penn State University. Mark Thank you for coming on the Tenuto Podcast. Oh, I'm honored to be on the Tenuto Podcast. Absolutely. You're a man of, like, intentionality. Like, everything you do, it seems to have a purpose. And I imagine there's a lot of new listeners listening today, people who graduated from Penn State, people who've never heard this before. So let me just set the scene for you a little bit here. I'm sitting here with Mark, and his hair is really long now. It's it's a lot longer than when I was in college, and I'm just curious if is there a story behind the change in your hair? Absolutely. Um, I, I attribute this to my daughter Olivia, uh, who's about you know your all's age group. Uh, when you were in school, I was cutting my hair like really short. You see pictures of me where I, you know, almost like a buzz cut kind of thing that I would have. And yeah, um, I forget which holiday it was, but we were at home one time, and and uh, my daughters and my I have seven kids and a boy and seven five girls and then a younger boy. So uh, we were all hanging out, and uh, they were giving me grief about my hair or something like that, and. And uh, Olivia says, Dad, your head looks like a big toe. 
And I just said, well, the hell with you. I'm just going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start growing my hair and I'm just going to let it grow till I'm dead. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just letting it grow for as long as I can. And, uh, you know, I, um, but there is another side to it, to be honest. Is, sure. uh, and we had this conversation a little bit yesterday as part of the Labor Days. We were just sitting talking on stage, if you remember. Or it was the champs, I guess, maybe we were talking about it, where um, one of the tricky things about teaching is that you change. Mm. Your age changes. Uh, you know, people think that sometimes the kids are really changing, and there's definitely some some of that but one of the big things is that you change so when I first started teaching here at Penn State I was you know 27 28 um, then all of a sudden you're 38 yeah. uh, teaching 18 19 20 year old people then all of a sudden you're 48 teaching 18 19 20 year old people then you're 58 teaching 18, 19, 20 year old people. So, you know, your, your relationship with the people that you teach kind of changes. You kind of start out, maybe you're like a big brother and then you, then you're kind of a young dad, then you're an older dad. And yeah. so I'm just trying to get to the Methuselah thing as fast <laughs> as I can, you know, just get to that, you know, uh, Gandalf kind of thing going on. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, so this week, like, we literally just finished the Trombone Labor Day's final concert, your 69th annual uh, trombone concert uh, recital. And I guess my question is, why year after year do you go through all this work to make this weekend happen every, every year on Labor Day weekend? Well, it's actually every semester, right? I mean, right. I, I do this every semester, but... This uh, this alumni, this, yeah, it was about twelve years ago. I think we were figuring, yeah, that uh, I think maybe it might have been my fiftieth recital. I don't know whatever it was, but we were at a point where it was like it was a little bit bigger deal, you know. And so that's uh, that's when it kind of got started. And of course, we had had alumni visit our students as long as I've had alumni. And because uh, I just, I'm motivated by two things with alumni. First of all, uh, nobody knows better what it's like to be in their shoes than you all do. I might think my perspective is different, certainly, mm -hmm. right? But you all were in exactly their shoes 10 years ago. Your class came to school 10 years ago. Yep. So you know where they're at, you know? So I see a huge value in that, and I don't think enough people take advantage of their alumni for that. Yeah. You know, I don't call people up to ask for money, you know, uh, but that's not what I, that's not what I need from, I, I want that experience. Share your life story with them because you've been in their shoes, number one. Number two, I've always felt that if I don't get away from Penn State uh, and visit schools and do the things that I used to do, uh, then how the hell am I supposed to know what's going on out there? Right. Right? Uh, well, eventually I began to realize that the alumni is how I can keep track of what's going on hmm. out there. 
Yeah. You know, uh, so I hear you all come in and tell your stories, and I'm learning a, a tremendous amount about, you know, what your life is like today as a as a young teacher. And uh, of course, yesterday with Shane and every everybody talking about their their job experience and getting jobs and yeah. all that kind of thing. Uh, man, I, how valuable is that? Not just for our students, but for for one another and myself and everybody. So um, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. I mean, uh, generally I've always done the recitals uh, just because uh, it's a lot of work over the Christmas break or over the end of the summer and all that sort of stuff. But, hey, I'm done. <laughs> I, you know, I don't have to try to do this in the middle of the, of the semester. Sure necessarily so and I, I love the idea of playing for them before I start yapping at them yeah that was always That's a really it. big thing for me uh, you hear you've heard me say that a million times uh, I hope they heard me play today and uh, so when I start playing with them this week in their lessons they'll be like all right I know where this is coming from yeah and I think I mean maybe just to add a third thing like the alumni I feel like I got so much out of this weekend. Like we're all coming from different places and everybody has different feelings about where they are. And I think everybody's bucket like just got filled up with good things this weekend. Like playing in the trombone choir again, seeing my classmates, hearing their stories has, and, and seeing the students this year like inspired me and, and is changing the way that I'm looking at, you know, even how I'm going to school tomorrow, like changing how I'm, I'm viewing things. So it was a really, really awesome weekend for me too. Um, but before this, you spent some time over the summer at Interlochen. Yeah. And that, you know, I was telling a little bit about my story. Interlochen is a very special place to me. It, it uh, is where I feel like I made a couple changes that have helped me for the better as a teacher. And you work with some younger students at Interlochen, like middle school, high school level? Um, mostly, yeah, a, a couple of middle school. I usually, uh, I've been blessed to be the Valade scholar there. So um, I get to work with some of the, some of the better students at, in, at Interlochen, if I hate to use that term, but, no, you know, but just yeah. some of the, the students that might play in WISO or the students that might play in those kind of groups. And so, um, but I teach everybody that's there eventually yeah. at one point or another. So it's basically junior high through high school. I mean, do you feel like when you're up there, you're changing your approach at all? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, that's one of the main reasons I do it. This year was my 15th year there. Wow. So 36 years here, uh, 15 years there. So, um, and yeah, that's been one of the main reasons for doing it, really. Yeah. Keeps me honest. Uh, yeah. You know, you always have, as a teacher, you always have to be working on your language. Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate what you said in the beginning. I think I am a very intentional person. Uh, I walk this line of talking, and, and the language that I use when I teach is often very uh, rustic or very, I don't know exactly how to say it. I use a lot of analogies. I use... You know, I'll, I'll use uh, I'll use a cuss word every once in a while just for dramatic effects, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, 
but I think the people that know me, the people that study with me, totally understand that. Sure. And actually become something that uh, they become a little bit fond of. But when I go to Interlochen, of course, I'm, I'm a little more tamed with that. Yeah. And also, when you're just when you're working with younger people, um, there's more repetition involved. Mm -hmm. uh, there's more playing for them involved, more demonstration involved. Sure. Uh, but I do break the glass. I mean, I do the same thing I do with you all. I'm like, I'm not about the notes. I'm not about teaching, you know, the, that kind of thing. I still want them to get to the music, uh, put the music first. Yeah. So, uh, but you have to, it's different. It's sure. Very different approach. Speaking about like your approach and your intentionality, um, kind of one of like your trademarks, I feel like, like sometimes in a lesson, like you'll, you'll have these long pauses while you're talking. And I'm just curious, like during those pauses, like what are you think? are you, are you being super intentional about, you know, what, what you're saying? Well, and you know, <laughs> I hope this isn't an offensive question, but no, not at all. I just, um, It is intentional to a certain degree because I want, uh, sometimes I want to make sure that they're listening. Yeah. And silence is powerful. Silence is powerful in music. It's, it's a powerful thing. Yeah. And, you know, my dad spoke with lots of pauses. Yeah. Down home in Kentucky. And, and man, when he got into one of those pauses, you'd be like, okay, what's coming next, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think I do it when I play, too. I, I think there's a certain musicality that I play with that really is joke-telling. It's storytelling, you know. It's, yeah. it's And that pause has a lot to do with the delivery of it. And so that doesn't mean I'm playing games with it no. or anything like that. I mean, yeah. it's just sometimes I'm thinking about what exactly do I want to say, but I'm not spinning my wheels too much yeah uh, it is there is a certain amount of intentionality there like if I just let this silence sit there for a minute maybe that next thing I say gets listened to a little bit differently yeah is that what you or did y'all just think I was losing my mind? No, I, I always, <laughs> I always just wondered. Like, and you're right. I mean, you made me listen so much more when when those silences happen. It's just always something that I was curious about. And anyway, or you know, another thing. Sometimes in ensemble, uh, somebody plays something and then it's done, and then you just kind of sit there for a minute. They're thinking about it. Yeah. You know, they're thinking, okay, I, did I, did I, what did I do? Did I do that? Um, am I going to get, am I going to get this next thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway. And sometimes, I mean, for me as a director, I, sometimes I feel like I need to say more than I have to. And I feel like that's a common thing, but sometimes... Silence is more powerful. Words are powerful. Words are powerful, and so is silence. Yeah. You know, just think about the Barber Adagio. That's all you got to think about, right? You know yeah. that, right? Yeah. I mean, what's the what's the highlight of that piece? I mean, what what is it that makes that 
unforgettable. The first time you heard that piece and the first time you heard that silence, it was like, oh, God. When they first came in right after that. Yeah. I mean, that is just some brilliant stuff. So speaking of brilliant stuff, I come to the, I'm in room 216 right now. For those of you who know, this has been, you know, Mark's office forever. And uh, it looks a lot different. There's a TV, there's iPads. Um, basically, everything that I remember is gone. Um, and there's technology. And um, what has kind of pushed you to this? It, it seems like you're very innovative these days with using iPads. And, and I'm curious what, what you're using with the TV. But last time I was here, I saw the TV. And it inspired me to put a TV in this practice room I have at school. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, just like the little things that, that will inspire somebody. But can you talk a little bit about how you're using technology? Yeah, well, I do a, I do a big technology thing up at Interlochen, actually, okay. for, all this, for all of the brass students up there at the, at the end of my time. I, I they get to spend a whole day talking about it and demonstrating it. And um, I think I've been motivated by technology ever since I was a freshman at Eastman. Yeah. Uh, Don Knob, my first teacher there, uh, used a reel-to-reel recorder. And that was the first time somebody other than like listening to the radio or listening to a record or something like that. That was the first time I saw somebody teach with technology. And he would record us on that reel to reel and then he'd hit that damn half speed button <laughs> and we'd listen to it and it would be an octave lower but you'd hear all yeah. of the crap that you were playing with. And uh, man, it, it, like everybody at first, I was like, oh. But I saw the value in that really, really early. Yeah. And so I was all about recording myself and and uh, and just as a young professional and a developing young musician, I was all over that. But of course, technology was slow coming, right? There's, there's no computers at that point. Mm. There's no digital music at that point. Um, you know, we had to do our, our, our papers on like, rock with, you know. <laughs> no <laughs> uh, seriously though I mean it, it was slow coming it was yeah it was still real reels it was tape on a reel and then all of a sudden there was um, you know there were cassettes and then you know that turned into CDs and then eventually you know we got computers but they didn't really have sound in them until they <clears throat> put sound cards in them yeah and then all of a sudden we have computers with sound actually in the computer, uh, programs to run that sound, MIDI technology. Uh, it, it, it's an amazing story. And, <clears throat> but for me, the biggest thing about recording, because all my, all my technology comes from basically two, two inspirations. First is recording yourself. Everybody tells you to do that, right? Everybody tells you to do it, you just don't do it. And there's a really simple reason why you don't do it. Because you don't like listening to yourself. You can record yourself, but you don't like to listen to it. Because you haven't learned how to listen to it. So that's why you can study with me for four years 
as long as whatever. If I record you before we listen to it, I'm going to say, we're not listening to you. We're listening to somebody else. Remember that? Yeah. Some, I, 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 yep. When I record my band, I say, this is a band from Oregon. Right. This is a band from yeah, Washington. Exactly. Yeah. So, because um, the power in that recording is you being objective with it. Yeah. And being able to rhythm, pitch, sound, style, break it down. Uh, if you remember the sieves, remember like the strainers that I would okay. use that analogy where it's like you take that recording and you play it, you pour it through the rhythmic sieve. Yeah, and if it's a, if it's good, if it's counted, people understand the rhythm, goes right through. If there's some BS in there, it gets caught in that <laughs> sieve, right? Yeah. You take it out, you work on that, you record it again until all of a sudden, rhythmically, everything gets through there, right? Yeah. So, um, but at the longer I taught, the other thing I realized about recording yourself was that. It's so obvious what we hear in our head, especially as as brass players, singers too, yeah. uh, but woodwinds to some extent, but certainly brass players. What we hear when we play has nothing to do with what it sounds like out in the real to everybody else. And uh, the analogy I use all the time at Interlocking or here at Penn State is, uh, you remember the first time you heard heard your voice on the podcast or you heard your voice on a recording yeah. and you're like going who the hell is that i don't know who the, i've never heard that voice before mm -hmm. and the reality is is everybody on the planet hears that voice that you heard on that recording you are the only person that hears your voice the way you hear it in your head so that's why you come into a lesson maybe and you play something and somebody would go, well, you know, teacher would say, can you play that more articulated? And you're thinking, wait a minute, I just articulated the heck out of that. Right. You know, what are you talking about? Right. Well, if you got that recording, then you and the student are looking at the same thing from the same vantage point. That's why when you see the studio monitors and the high quality microphones and the, all the different things that we use to record people audio wise and video wise it's so that I hit that button and I know that when I play this back for them it's gonna be what I heard so that we can talk about the same thing a lot of times I don't have to say anything right yeah you know it's like sometimes your band hears that recording and they go okay I get it I remember it being in here and listening <laughs> to myself on Audacity, yeah. Yeah, and so um, so that's my my main inspiration. Yeah. The second reason I'm I'm so into the um, the the recording uh, aspect of things is just um, I think it it adds to the uh, responsibility. You know, I think sometimes way too many students, you know, you hear about it all the time. I studied with this person and I studied with that person and, you know, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go take a lesson with this person or that person. And it's like, it's all awesome. Congratulations. But you realize someday there's some point when you have to teach yourself. 
that you have to be responsible for what happens, the music you make. Yeah. Um, you know, again, playing with Evan today is like, holy cow. You know, to see somebody that, you know, just takes the, the music to, a, to such, a, such a level, such a point, uh, I mean, that's, that's, an in, that's an inside out thing. Yeah. And because uh, I think too many people try to make it somebody else's responsibility. And with the recording, you don't say anything. You just play it back and say, okay, there you are. That's what you did. Yeah. No, no way to butter that one up. You know what I mean? It's like what it is. So. And you mentioned Evan. Evan's here in studio. And I think it just speaks to how much we, as your alumni, you know, we respect you. Um, and we like truly value what you have to say. And some of our students here have some questions for you, you know, sure. from my class, the 2016 class. So we're introducing a new segment on today's podcast called Questions from My Classmates. And this is specifically for you. Got questions from Brad, Mark, Dan, Shane, Jake, and Sarah. Um, and we'll start with Brad. Sure. Hey, this is Brad Snyder, and my question for you is, what tips do you have for students beginning their time in school? Well, we just kind of touched on it, actually. Yeah. You are responsible. Uh, you have to be organized. You know, I, I tell every, I, I don't know if you remember in your audition, because you have, I remember your parents were here, and such a, yeah, uh, I just was so impressed with, with your family, and uh, but I probably said this in your audition. I probably said something like, you know, the, the most difficult part about coming to college is that when you're in high school, uh, it's all outside in, right? There's, there's the festivals and there's the this thing and the that thing and there's all these carrots that are always thrown out in front of you to keep you going. Yeah. There's bells that go off at school. You got your parents getting you out of bed. You got, you know, whatever. I mean, there's just all this outside in influence. And then you get to college. And the most difficult part of anybody going to college for anything, maybe especially music, is that uh, all of a sudden there's no bells going off and there's nobody around making you do anything. Hmm. You have to assume that responsibility it really becomes inside out yeah so that's number one I think number two in as far as music goes uh, you've heard this a thousand times but it, it's a it's like it's like a big music camp should be sure right yeah you got a underwater basket weaving class thrown in there <laughs> but for the most part it's music all day right it's music theory yeah it's music ensembles it's music practice it's music lessons it's you know it's just realize that it's not eight different things on your schedule today. It's really just wake up and make music between breakfast and lunch, and then make be a good musician between lunch and dinner, yeah. and between dinner and when you go to bed. Yeah. So uh, just keep it about the music. Put the music first, and good things will happen. That's the, that's the motto. Yeah. All right, up next, Mark Page's question. Hey, Mark. It's Mark Page's. My question is, after you've been doing this for so many years, what keeps you coming back? 
when you could just easily retire. Well, I guess part of the reason is I don't know what the hell else I would do. <laughs> uh, but, you know, because it's, uh, if you remember, I, I used to always say that uh, I, be I believe being a musician is kind of, it's something that you are. I mean, I know that that may be a, a bold statement for some people, but it's just what, I, what I've always believed. I believe you go through life and, and uh, you know, I was lucky enough to meet my soulmate when I was 16 years old. And so before long, all of a sudden, I married Patrice and I'm, I'm a husband. And a husband's not something that you do, it's something that you are. And then um, uh, all of a sudden you have your children and you're a dad and being a being a dad's not something you do it's something that you are and I've I guess I've always kind of felt that way about about music and and teaching you know it's like I never thought I've worked a day in my life you know so I don't not only do I not do I not know what it, I would do if I retired but I don't even know what I'm retiring from <laughs> Sure. You know what I mean? Does yeah. that make sense? I mean, I've never really thought about the job. Now, there are certain things about the job that we all have to deal with. Yeah. Administrations and rules and regulations and money and budgets and all kinds of crap that we have to deal with, you know. But that's, a lot of that stuff I don't have any control over. What I do have control over is my passion for the music, my passion for my students, and... Uh, as long as I got that going on, I don't, uh, it's, it doesn't, it's not really a question. So, yeah, I mean, just coming back here, it makes me realize how many of the things I use every day and I learned from here that I forgot I learned here. Like, like the simple serenity that, that you talk about all the time, just focus on what you can control, like, and the other stuff. And like that's been my motto and I feel like that's kind of what's kept me sane sometimes when there's all these staff meetings and there's and I just like and I tell the people in my department it's like just focus on the things that you can control and like we can't control whether we're here or not so let's make the most of it like yeah. it's just crazy yeah how much I like even like rhythm pitch sound style like yeah. I've been saying those things so many and it's just like right. you know But back to Mark's question and yeah, one, sorry. Other, one yeah. other thing one other thing that's I, I, coming to my mind here that's really important is, is it's not that you don't think about it. I mean, I almost retired this past summer. I mean, I, just to, yeah. to be truthful, I mean, I almost just said to heck with it. But then I realized I was thinking too much about the stuff I don't have any control over, you know? Yeah. I, I started thinking about just some of the really crazy things that are going on in education and, and you know, uh, just things that don't always make sense to me. And I, I try not to comment about them too much because I don't want to, you know, I, that's not what I'm here for. You know, I'll let other people do that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, I think every all of you that have studied with me know that, you know, I, I, I'm strong in my faith. I, I, I believe in in family, you know, I mean, those are the things that matter to me. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, so yeah, you can look at the situation sometimes these days and think, 
you know, uh, okay, see ya, you know. But um, but the more I looked at it, the more I realized, you know what? When I came to Penn State in 1986, I said, I want to do what Remington did. I want to teach for half a century. See if I can pull that off. So I made a recommitment this summer and kind of said, well, you know what? 2036 is my graduation day. There you go. Yeah, assuming I can make it that far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, so. Awesome. Yeah, I think a big thing people leave here with is just strong mindsets. And in the field of education, there's a lot of negativity and there's a lot of toxicity. And I think one of my biggest strengths that I've gotten from here is just a strong mindset. Yeah. All right, here's a question from Dan Sherman. Hi, Mark. It's Dan Sherman. I was curious, how do you take all of those years of experience that you've had and, and take your students um, after just having an audition of an hour long and how do you know which students are going to succeed and which ones you should take? I've never done an hour. I've never done an audition that was an hour long. Most auditions are about two minutes long. I've been doing this a long time. Mm. I think there's so many things that go into being successful at this. And you guys should be really proud. All of you should be really proud. I would put you guys, I'd put this studio and what it's done up against anybody. There's been about 178 or so people graduate yeah. from this studio. And 90 to 95% of you have made your way in music. That's crazy. Yeah. Not that you all taught or you all played, you know, you all done all kinds of different things. Yeah. But you've all managed to find your way. Well, I think there's certain things that go into that. And uh, God has blessed me with some, some awareness. Uh, I don't know if my wife would agree with that, but I, I do think I have some awareness uh, to where somebody comes in, they play, I, I just hearing, just seeing it, just what they did. You know, sometimes it's in two minutes. Um, and you just realize this is going to work. This is going to be wonderful. Uh, like in Dan's case, you know, and, and like so many cases, I think I talked about that this weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, not that it's always the case, but in, it, you know, they walk in this room on a Sunday afternoon. Like I don't do audition days, right? I kind of mm -hmm. do. I've always done it differently. Yeah. On Sundays, people come, they visit me with them and their family and uh, or whoever, and they audition, and uh, I sit and I talk with with everybody, and then they play. And then you all sit in trombone choir. That's the great thing about trombone choir, isn't it? Yeah. From the day you audition, every Sunday until you graduate, we play graduation. Yeah. You, it's it's like our dinner table, mm -hmm. you know. And so anyway, in that audition, a lot of times, I, just the whole chemistry. I was talking about you and your family, Dan's family. I mean, you remember Dan's. Yeah. Your class has some amazing families in it. Not just amazing people in your class, but you know, there's, there's a lot of pretty awesome 
family going on in your class. Yeah. Uh, so, in answer to Dan's question, I've never. It's it's. This feels kind of obvious to me. There's nothing in particular. Uh, sometimes people come in. They've had you know you, uh, resumes like two page resumes coming out of high school, and it's like all the things that they've done. Yeah. But then some people you realize. They don't have any resume at all. They just haven't had the same opportunity. Mm. And I have an affection, real affection for that because I started playing trombone when I was 16 years old, a little bit before I was 16 years old. I didn't have lessons. And I, I had a couple of people that I, I went to and saw, but I didn't have lessons. Yeah. Uh, and what, three years later, I'm at, I'm at Eastman. So it's like... So, um, you know, I don't just, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I didn't even know who taught trombone there. I didn't, I, I didn't even know what the Eastman School was. It was I was just there uh, because of those Eastman Wind Ensemble records I heard. And it was like, mm. that's a pretty good band right there. Yeah. This is from Shane. Hey, this is Shane Lepley. My question is, what is the number one most important thing that you believe future music educators need before they go out into the field? I'm going to credit Mary Margaret Brown with this one. Okay. Of course, Mary Margaret Brown is one of our great people. She came here as an alumni thing, and she insisted... You gotta want to te to teach the kids. You know what I mean? Like if you don't like teaching kids, if you don't like kids, don't teach them. You know what I mean? You don't need to be there, right? I mean, you gotta love the kids. You gotta love that experience. Yeah. You know, like uh, many of you talked this weekend about how, you know, you just found your place with elementary kids, or you found your place with the like Kim was talking about the excitement of, of teaching, what was it, oh. fourth and fifth graders, you know, it's just like, you know, but you got to love that and you got to keep, so first of all, you got to love the people that you're teaching. You got to love the people that you're teaching and that's hard to do if you don't love teaching those kind of people, mm -hmm. meaning little people or yeah. not so little people or high school people. You know, or in my case, college people. Sure. You know, um, you got you got to love the people that you teach. You have to have compassion for them, and that's really hard to do if you don't love those kind of people. Sure. Uh, number one. Uh, number two, and this is this is a little more challenging, of course, but. We don't need anybody else out there who doesn't know their subject matter. You need to be an amazing book that starts out with these chapters that are kind of easy, that are enticing, and they take you to the next chapter and it gets a little bit deeper, and it gets a little bit deeper, but it stays about the music. It doesn't, you know, I've always said, Everything you need to teach a, teach about a piece of music is in that piece of music. I think what happens is so many teachers 
is they get away from the music. You know, they don't put the music first. And they, they get themselves into other motivations, you know, where they're trying to, you know, and they, and they give up on the, it, it'd be like a car, it'd be like a car mechanic that doesn't know about cars. You know, you just need to know about cars if you're going to be a great car mechanic. Right. If you're going to be an IT person, you better know how that computer works. You better know how, what's inside a computer, yeah. right? Well, as you all know, sometimes there are musicians that go out, there's people that go out to teach music, mm-hmm. don't really know the subject matter. Yeah. They don't have the language for it. I know you all used to, you know, remember I used to joke with you all all the time about if it was up to me, if you, to get your degree, you'd have to pass a vocabulary test. Mm. You'd have to be able to say 25,000 words about music. And you'd be like, that's a words, are you out of your mind, right? But once you get going, you realize that's not really that many, right? Uh, and the analogy I use is that of the Inui tribe up in Alaska. You know, the, the um, indigenous people up there in Alaska, the, in, the Inuits, right? They have thousands of words to describe snow. Why? Because it's life. If they can't describe snow, they're probably not going to survive. They have to be able to describe that environment very particularly, you know, or they're not going to survive. You know, someone that lives in uh, Bogota, snow is like holy shit snow it's like what is that you know they don't need that many words right but the point is is that if if you really want to be a great music teacher part part of it along with the love of the people and the is is knowing your subject matter and if you know you need to kind of push yourself every day to be more um descriptive and, and be able to draw people into the music itself to make the music better. Yeah? So. Absolutely. Here's Jake Hartramp. Hey, this is Jake Hartramp. Um, my question is, is there such thing as the perfect student? And if so, what would their qualities be and would you actually want to teach them? <laughs> well, of course not, because there's not a perfect human. Uh, and same way there's not a perfect student there's not a perfect teacher either yeah you know it's we all go through this together right I mean the Penn State Ramon studio is maybe one of the best examples of how we keep learning from one another year in and year out right I mean, do you ever, I hope when you reach those moments in your life, you always feel like, eh, I need to go, I need to go back there and figure out what's going on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the perfect parts of being a student, it's not that they're perfect. Uh, it's their inquisitiveness. 
again, their passion for it, their their willingness to do what it takes. Um, That's what makes great students, I think. Uh, And the students that are less perfect (laughs) are the ones that, you know, that kind of lose sight on what they're doing it for or they get distracted on what they're doing it for or they think that it's you know they don't put in the work that needs to happen not for the teacher you know again I like I always say I'm just a, I'm the I'm the bumpers at the bowling alley that's all I am uh, you know but it's the you know it's the momentum that, that makes that student better, you know, that makes them perfect, that momentum, that's, again, that inside-out thing, and that's that thing that says, i got to work at this, you know. Uh, and, you know, you were so awesome, Kevin, yesterday in the alumni discussion, talking about, you know, talk about somebody that, you know, who... You asked me earlier, why didn't you just, you know, why don't you just like say to hell with it? Well, you could have said to hell with it, but you didn't, you know, and look at you today. We're at the Tenuto broadcast here (laughs) with the teacher of the year. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, super proud of you and and all of you, but uh, you just, the perfect students are the ones that don't quit. Yeah. So... This next question comes from Sarah and Bo, but it's read by Sarah. Hey, Mark, this is Sarah Shulbank-Smith. My question is, what are the major ways that your teaching has changed over your time at Penn State, and in what ways have things stayed the same? Um, well, technology's had a lot to do with it. Uh, again, I think, I think when I, again, when I was a little younger, um, just because it's sort of how I was trained and, and, you know, cause, um, you know, I had sort of some pretty fantastic teachers, but kind of old school sort of teachers, you know, you went in and played for them and they listened to you and they told you what they thought and, and you went from there, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I kind of did a little bit of that, but then I, I feel like I, I feel like I grew out of that to where I didn't. This isn't about what I think. This isn't about listening to Sarah play or Kevin play or Evan play and go, well, you know, that needs to. <clears throat> excuse me, that needs to be a little more like this and like. No, it's like. You own that. What do you think? What are, what are you thinking there? Mm-hmm. It's like, I think I, you could talk to all the Penn Staters through the years. How many how many times did I tell you to do something in a lesson versus asked you a question? I think I've taught a lot of lessons where I didn't do anything but ask questions. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I... I <laughs> And so the, what I'm trying to answer there is I think I've changed in that uh, I, I put the own, I changed by, because I put the ownership on the 
on this student sure. more over time. And I think the longer I teach, the more passionate I am about that, much to the dismay of the mm. <laughs> Well, of the, I, I the appreciate students. this right now, being the one asking the question. You know, <laughs> you know it's I mean? nice for me. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it doesn't get any easier. Yeah. You know, when you, all of a sudden you're responsible for your own life and your own music and your own everything, it's yeah. like, okay, yeah. here we go. Um, as far as things that are the same, um, I don't know. I think that it's really hard to put a finger on it, isn't it? But isn't it incredible? Like just an hour ago, you were playing in a group and played beautifully, partially because Evan's fabulous conducting, but you're playing in this group with people you've never played with before. People in that, you know, alumni can get together and sit down and play. Yeah. Like last night when we did uh, Lonesome Road. Yeah. You know, there's people, that was just the alumni that had visited and there were people who were playing who never played with one another, didn't even really know one another. Mm -hmm. But yet, you sit down and it's just like, okay, we know how this goes. Right? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty proud of that. And whatever it is that makes that happen, I hope I can keep doing it. I think that's what I've always tried to do. Um, I've always just tried to put the music first. Um, I've always tried to be the best musician for my students that I possibly could. Doesn't mean the best playing, you know, I mean, I'm, I can, I can, Jack it up just like as good as the, anybody else, but um, but I'm it's all I try to get it past me as quick as possible and get into the next music and uh, so. Um, Can I, I? I think I know what it is. I, I think that I mean I, there's a lot of things, right? But I, the fact that everybody in the in the alumni studio is coming at it from putting the music first, that vantage point. It's like so many times I'll go out to a different, you know, there's so many conducting type jobs you take and a lot of them you're not putting the music, a lot of them not everyone's putting the music first, right? You're just, there's all kinds of other things going on. And that's when it gets very um, provincial and like you know but when you're putting the music first you can be conducting people that you've never met before I've met half these people and or conducting people that don't even speak the same language you do which I've had some recent experiences in and then but if everyone's putting the music first everyone's trying to understand one another you know and everyone's trying to go like what is what are they throwing and what are they picking up and, you know and then it just sort of gels into something and the Penn State Trombone Studio is really good at that. So every time I've conducted the choir, it always feels different because it's never the same group of people, but it always very quickly congeals into something. And that's actually, I've gotten myself into this like motto before I get in front of the, the group where I just, I have a little checklist, like listen, you know, keep your ears open, keep your feet on the ground, don't run around, <laughs> you know, but also just... <laughs> just listen to them for a while and let them do their thing but yeah it's amazing and it's, it's so I do think it's putting the music first which you've obviously inculcated in us 
yeah. over the years. Yeah. And also, just how, you know, uh, I think that I've always tried to make sure you all make meaningful music. You know, that whole thing yeah. about it can't, it's not going to mean something to somebody else if it doesn't mean anything to you. You know, I hope that every time you've all ever seen me play or conduct or whatever it is you've seen me do, teach you in a lesson, uh, yeah, it's because it's I give a shit about it. You know, I care about it. And because uh, um, with that, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean something to the student or the audience or the people that you're making music with. Amazing. Thank you for doing this. Absolutely. This was, I mean, this is the reason why I do this podcast is to get these experiences talking to you. I mean, I can talk to you anytime, but I love that we were just able to like pick your brain about anything and you gave every single question so much attention. I mean, we're, we're really lucky to be your students and to be alumni at Penn State. And, you know, I just, I appreciate you for coming on the show, Mark. Anytime. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening to this. I really enjoyed this. I'm going to be listening back to this so many times. If you want to learn more about the Penn State Trombone Studio, if you want to learn more about this Trombone Labor Days event that happened, go to psutrombone.com. There's links to the concerts that happened. There's links to the alumni sessions. And it was really special. It was really cool, like I said. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check in. Follow us on Facebook if you want to know when the next episodes are dropping. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>